is kids' access to the arts generally, but music in particular, and that's that's very personal. I found my place, and um, and actually growing up in Australia in the seventies, eighties, um, uh, as you know, I didn't know or wasn't conscious of it at the time, but as a gay kid, um, uh, finding my place there was really important. This is a very special organisation, and uh, and I, um, you know, I stand on the shoulders of uh, of those who came before. It's um, it's grown up over a long period of time. The festival started in 1967, but figuring out how a um, how a large organisation can actually have a bigger impact on its community and serve its community in all sorts of ways mm. um, is really what has uh, has made me tick over the last decade or so. Mm. The definition of the business is about bringing people together. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that we do is designed <laughs> to uh, yeah. to get a load of people in the same space and that was the very thing that, uh, that COVID prevented. It's amazing then to think actually it sort of was October 2021 before we were, um, before we were back open in the concert hall. It's a journey back for the audience because uh, you know, 2020 totally cancelled 21 was a socially distanced festival 22 we were back but uh, but still um, at a slightly smaller scale and, uh, 23 feels like the moment where we're um, where maybe returned to something which is uh, much more reminiscent of the pre-pandemic years so um, yeah that's exciting what is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Ultimately, most people, the vast majority, I think are trying to do good things and the right thing. And uh, and if you hold on to that somehow, then it gives you um, faith and energy in, every, in everything else. You can, you can make things possible after that. Um, so, yeah, optimism and have faith in people. I believe everyone has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Brilliant. Okay, welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. My guest this week is widely acknowledged to be one of the most influential cultural leaders in the UK following a distinguished career in classical music with both senior artistic and executive management credits. In 2008, he was appointed chief executive of both Brighton Dome and Brighton International Festival. Delighted to welcome Andrew Combin to the, to the podcast. How are you, Andrew? Are you okay? Hi, Sam. Great to be here. Great to see you. Thank Excellent. You. Really great to meet you. And I'm delighted to have you on, obviously. I've heard so much about it and obviously seen what's been happening with, uh, obviously with the festival over the years and obviously some exciting stuff going on at the moment, obviously at the Dome and, and Corn Exchange and stuff. So, yeah, really excited to have you on. Oh, no, look, it's brilliant to be here. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic place to be, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Brighton is such a special city. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I... Uh, I'm just struck as you uh, as you introduced there that it is 15 years that I've been in this uh, in wow. this role. So um, so yeah, it'd be great to have a chat. Lovely, amazing. Well, look, we're we're going to dive straight straight in and just tell as you start your stories, just sort of tell me a little bit about what sort of life was gr- like growing up for you, um, and tell me something about obviously those early years that's maybe shaped who, who you are today. 
Sure. I'm, uh, well, I don't know if you know, but um, I'm Australian and was born in Sydney, uh, went to school later on in Melbourne. Um, uh, I sound like this um, mainly because I, I grew up singing as a, as a kid. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, we were taught to sing in a particular way, and so I got this accent. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm really passionate about now is, um, is kids' access to the arts generally, but music in mm. particular, and that's, that's very personal because I grew up in a, um, in a state school in Sydney uh, with parents who, um, uh, who liked music but were not uh, especially musical and, um, and certainly didn't work in the industry or the business. Mm. Um, and it was entirely down to teachers in a primary school, in a little state primary school in Sydney that, um, that switched me on to, to music and gave me huge opportunities, which I can rub it on about forever. But, mm. um, but that really meant I found my place. And, um, and actually growing up in Australia in the mm, 70s, 80s, um, uh, as you know, I didn't know it the, or wasn't conscious of it at the time, but as a gay kid, um, uh, finding my place there was really important in mm -hmm. the end, and it, um, it, yeah, it certainly set me on this track. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I find that I talk about a lot on here about sort of education and um, what it's like in school. I grew up in Dagenham, um, you know, in not the greatest school in the world, but I just think, like, for me, that finding that right teacher or that, that inspiration at a young age because so, so many of us unfortunately don't don't have that passion find that passion early on I guess like listening to you talk about that that your passion for music and the arts was uh, from an early age you, yeah. you found that it started really um really early seven eight I suppose mm. I mean maybe earlier than that but um but certainly in formal uh formal senses we you know lots of uh what's annoying though was it was lots of luck um, mm. And and I think what I've tried to do over the years is um, is see if there's a way of um, of making that less down to luck mm. and chance and and put structures in place that give as many kids an opportunity as possible. You know, we had we happened to have as one of the parents in the in the school a bass trombonist from Sydney Symphony Orchestra. He decided he wanted to start a band. Um, and uh, and so he gave all his time to all his spare time to uh, to running this brass band for uh, for kids. Um, it was an amazingly um, altruistic thing to do and generous thing to do. Yeah. And he uh, he taught a load of us from the word go. But there were a couple of teachers in the school as well who really um, who really knew their stuff and wanted to encourage some of us uh, to to keep going at it. And that opened all sorts of doors. Um, uh, from, you know, singing at the opera as a uh, as a kid and wow. um, uh, you know, all sorts of other things, and it was um, what's it that was just experience brilliant. like at a, a young age singing at the opera? Like yeah, that, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've always said that uh, actually singing with one of the things of singing as a child is you are, I mean, if you're singing in kids choirs, that's one thing, but when uh, when you're in a professional setting, whether that's the opera or musicals or whatever um you're treated as an adult and it's the first time as an eight nine ten year old that you're really um given the responsibility and the expectation of uh, of delivering in the same way that all of your colleagues who are adults are being expected to deliver mm. and and there's something about that i think which is really 
special. It um, it makes you feel really good, but um, uh, it's also slightly terrifying, and that's quite useful as well. It's, uh, it's a it's a really good learning and growing experience. Because that, that just builds so many life skills. I I've, I liken it. I, I wasn't very musical at all at school, but very sporty. So you sort of get potentially that type of thing from sport as well. That Definitely. where you, you you're playing with a group of people, maybe playing with older kids or whatever that looks like. But you you like you say, you grow in confidence, especially if you've got a bit of a talent for that, and it just helps to lift you up. And like I say, it gives you what sport gave me was a lot of life skills. I guess that changing room banter, for example, or just being in an environment where you're. You, you're accepted in that way for what you're, I guess, good at or what you achieve. Yeah, there are so many things that, I mean, I think many in education have known this for years and have been fostering it in different ways. Mm. Um, doesn't necessarily flow through the curriculum um, uh, in a formal sense, but uh, but I think there are just the start of um, flickers mm. of recognition from, uh, from government and elsewhere mm. that actually these subjects are really important and there's... Um, uh, I think sport is a really good comparison because often mm. the arts and sport are put in sort of competition almost yeah. for uh, for time and so on. But they, whatever switches a kid on to uh, to something mm. is is hugely powerful. Yeah. And for me, it was music, music which yeah. um, uh, which of course then I'm biased and want to <laughs> um, want to spread that as widely as I can. What, what, what's your take then on, on the way the education system is now, the curriculum, and how that sort of works within schools because obviously like listening to you talk like that obviously there's that, that passion for music and what that gave you and do, do, do you feel that we have the way the curriculum is is still quite archaic in in that sense that the, the way that we teach you know with maths for example being something that we're going to stay on there and teach our kids to 18 do you, do you think that needs to be looked at i think it's really tough i mean we brighton and brighton festival um uh took on the operation of uh, of the Brighton Hove Music Service and the East Sussex Music Service. Mm. We've created a, um, uh, a new um, music hub called Create Music, and that mm. works in around 270 schools across the region. So wow. we're teaching 5,000 kids music a week. And, um, and it's really exciting to see what uh, all of those kids are doing and how the schools and teachers are supporting them. Mm. But there's no doubt that it comes from often comes from commitment of the head teacher and uh, and staff in schools to make that happen and allow it to happen mm -hmm. and they're fighting against the curriculum often in in terms of the expectations that are put on um, the schools mm -hmm. to deliver uh, certain subjects in certain ways and the the amount of time that um, that simply doesn't exist then to go outside of those mm -hmm. strictures I think is really tough so I've lots and lots of sympathy for um, for teachers who are often then um, told by successive governments and politicians um, that they should be going in this direction or that direction. It chops and changes a lot, mm. and um, and really, it's in, certainly in this region down to the sort of long term commitment of teachers and head teachers that mm. um, that we're able to um, do the sorts of things that we're able to do. So yeah, I think it definitely needs. Um, uh, it definitely needs more recognition that there is a um, there is a much broader spectrum of learning than uh, than the core subjects. Mm. I completely respect the need to uh, to focus on those core subjects, but equally, um, a broad based curriculum is mm. um, 
is, I think, really healthy for, for every child. Um, it's really tough to, to set policy around that, though, and, and often the teachers and individual schools are best placed to, to know what's right for their kids. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a thorny, um, thorny issue, but, mm. um, but I think there, there is amazing work that goes on down here. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's great to hear you talk like because I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about that as well, and I talk about it on here quite a lot. But you know, and I do, I, f I, I feel really bad actually for the teachers because you do feel like they've got such a tough job to follow this curriculum, and they've got these Ofsted reports that they've got to meet, and that certain criteria, which is, it, it is tough, and that. But I, I really believe that all and all kids engage in different ways. We we talked about it just before off air, like people absorb content in different ways, or yep. be a podcast or reading a book or or whatever that looks like. So actually realising, I think, that children, we engage in different ways. I, I've, I've talked a couple of times on here, I've got twins who are seven. Um, so there's obviously a natural comparison between the two of them because they're the same age. But, you know, um, Sienna's very academic and she takes after my wife and, she, you know, she's excellent at reading whereas Luca's a bit more maybe creative and um, doesn't quite engage in that way but actually the way they've been tested at school even at seven which is crazy um, Luca got sort of labelled a little bit as behind and I'm like oh, I really don't buy into that and it sort of frustrated me a little bit and I, was, I spoke to the team I said oh, I think he just engages maybe and, and he's really creative so he you know he loves music and well, I'm not very musical but he does love that and he loves performing and like the theatre sort of side of stuff and he's really passionate about that and drawing and art, the art side of stuff that he and that's how he engaged and I think like you said it is it, I completely appreciate how tough it must be within schools and the curriculum but actually for government and people at the top to look at it being a broader thing will hopefully hopefully in the future will be be brighter with that I think so yeah Awesome. Well, look. Well, t so tell me then, and then to you moved. When did you move over to England? When you was? Yeah, I came to the UK in '94, oh. late '93, '94. Yeah. Um, so I was in my early twenties at the time, and um, uh, and really didn't know anyone. I um, uh, I just knew I wanted to be here and wanted to pursue, at the time, uh, horn playing and singing, um, and. Uh, yeah, fell into um, uh, fell into that. Met lots of people along the way, and mm. um, and was brilliantly supported um, by lots of people connecting me to each other. You know, it's um, uh, the arts can be great for that. Mm. It, um, it's a it's a brilliant network, mm. and um, and you know, not always as supportive as uh, as it could be. But um, but I happened to fall on my feet and mm. was introduced to some great people. And then fell into uh, the administration side of things, which I'd never planned at all. But it, uh, but uh, it felt right, and I, um, I went with it. And something you obviously, like you say, I guess f finding a role, whatever that looks like, within something you're passionate about. So whether it be the arts, whether it be sport, or whatever that is, you might necessarily like. For me, I never made it as a professional footballer but um I, I one of the other businesses i run is related to five-a-side football so that's great and i've sort of experienced so actually being involved in classical music as you was obviously but then like you say the admin side of it and and then coming down i guess to to, to brighton and and taking over the festival and stuff yeah it, it had never um it had never occurred to me uh while i was doing it early on that that actually what i was storing up was a kind of 
bank of experience of mm. what it meant to be on stage. Mm. And even if I wasn't pursuing that professionally as an adult, um, uh, I did for a bit. But mm. then, but what I had was a, a kind of empathy, a ready, um, uh, a ready sense of what that took for people. Mm. Um, so it came quite naturally to get alongside artists and understand what they were trying to do mm. and then translate that for other people who were um, who were working behind the scenes and sort of um, uh, there's that sort of brokering relationship that is really valuable um, mm. uh, to both sides to an artist and to the and to the business side and mm. if you can if you can marry the two then uh, it's actually it's great fun um, uh, but it's also hopefully useful and um, uh, it it meant I sort of found my niche. Yeah, because yeah, I guess like you say, the, the experience that you had of playing at where you did and, and, and as a child and obviously, like you say, as an adult, being able to take that experience and like you say, I guess, uh, interesting to hear you say about actually being able to empathise with, with other artists and actually put yourself in that, that position and understand where they're coming from. And that's, cause I, I, I can imagine if potentially you hadn't been like that and you look at it from a business side of things, don't necessarily see from the artist side if, uh, from other people. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, I'm not at all unique. There are um, there are people who do this brilliantly across the mm. across the arts industry. That's um, that's what makes great producers, and yeah. uh, and there are many many that work both in the in our organisation and yeah. uh, and then in many others. But it's um, um, but I was sort of struck early on that that had never occurred to me as a as a thing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that existed as a career choice, as it were. So yeah. um, again, it's sort of that's something that we've tried to to focus a bit on within Brighton and Brighton Festival, just um, for people to understand what kinds of roles and careers exist for young people, um, so that mm. they can actually know that pursuing a creative subject is um, uh, is not necessarily the dead end that many people try and paint it as. You mm. know, unless you're um, unless you're going to be winning a Grammy, what's the point? Yeah. Um, well, actually, there are lots of there are lots of reasons to pursue creative subjects. They give you life skills, but um, but they also lead to um, to real jobs in other ways. Yeah, I think that, that that's that's something again back to I guess the, the education side of it and, and careers. I guess actually opening opening the opportunities for for children to look at that there are other there are other venue, uh, avenues for them to follow it like you said if there's something that they're passionate about but uh, again I, I'm obviously I'm relating it to sport because that's my, I guess my yeah. world but I, I guess similar to that if I'm not going to make it as a professional football do I just stop playing football do I stop playing tennis or whatever that sport sport is actually no you could go into coaching you could go into broadcasting within that industry and I guess yeah. similar with the arts as well like you know I'm not going to become a musician and, uh, and win a Grammy but you know, there are all these other, so many, especially within arts and culture, so many different, different positions and different roles that they could do. Um, Definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah see, so, what, so tell me then about, obviously, then coming down to, to Brighton and, and 2008 and the inspiration behind that and wanting to get behind that. And I know you keep saying 2008. I know, I know. I know, I know, 15 years, years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we won't dwell on that. We won't dwell on that. <laughs> no, no, but it's been great. I mean, I, uh, I really... Um, uh, I really love it, and it's um, uh, and it's brilliant to look back on as well mm. because um, this 
is a very special organization and uh, and I um, you know I stand on the shoulders of uh, of those who came before it's um, it's grown up over a long period of time the festival started in 1967 um, and uh, and each um, director of the festival and uh, and all the teams that have put those festivals together mm. have made something really extraordinary in a place which deserves something extraordinary because it's uh, it's a really wonderful city and it uh, it's you know we were talking off air as well just you know the natural environment that we have and that we enjoy here the the microclimate that's here the um, the sort of sense of wanting to be outside. Um, but also the closeness that the city can allow, so you can um, you can get lots of people to different parts of it quite quickly, mm. um, uh, and all of the sort of cultural richness that is here means it's really ripe as a festival city. It's mm. um, it's perfect for um, a celebration of arts and culture. So um, so to to inherit the um, the legacy of Brighton Festival is is a huge privilege mm. and um, and was really daunting when I arrived in 2008 um, <laughs> to, to think actually how could we how could we do something um, with not just with the festival but with this unique combination of um, extraordinary venues mm. the dome which is you know originally uh, built for the Prince Regent and for his horses um, yeah. but you know turned into a concert hall and a, a, the riding school which was then become the Corn Exchange and uh, and the Studio Theatre. Um, how could we marry those two things together and make something even uh, even larger and even more impactful in a place like this? So um, that took a lot of wrapping my head around. I was um, mm. you know I was immediately full of ideas in arriving in two thousand and eight, but um, but. Uh, the more and more I got under the skin of the place and understood how how things work, the differences that um, uh, that exist here from London or from Suffolk, where I was mm. uh, prior to uh, prior to London, or indeed Australia, um, uh, has been really really useful. And I've loved um, I've loved actually putting roots down in a place that um, that means you you gradually start to understand the community that we exist in and uh, and understand how a cultural institution like ours can mm. can play a bigger part than just simply putting on good shows. Um, mm. uh, that's brilliant. We love doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and I love working with artists to make that happen. But, um, but figuring out how a, um, how a large organization can actually have a bigger impact on its community serve its community in, a, in all sorts of ways mm. um, is really what has uh, has made me tick over the last decade or so mm. um, that's been really exciting and it's, it's amazing just a couple of things taken out of that what you're saying I, I, and I agree I think I've come down to, to Brian from Essex 2012 I moved down so just over 10 years and it, I do find it's such a unique magical place right and I've fallen in love with it very much so and I think there's the sense of community here especially I find it very much so within the business community uh, especially and keen to get your thoughts on that from mm. the, the sort of cultural and business but the business community is is a, an amazing place people want to 
support and work together and collaboration is a big thing I think you know has come out of especially more so out of after lockdown and sort of moved along people even more open to working together and supporting each other and for the greater good of the city and for for, for their own business as well so yeah I'm keen to get your, your sort of take on that from the business point definitely of I mean I think it, it is somewhere that people want to make things happen mm. um, and and many people have been motivated to move here um, you know from a uh, what almost an idealistic sense of uh, of how do you how do you create a, uh, a really great place to live mm. and uh, and so I feel like Lots and lots of people are invested in that, in from whatever take they come at that, mm. whether that's business, as you say, or sport, or the arts, or um, uh, or local government, or mm. um, uh, whatever the lens is that you look through. Um, I think there really, there really are amazing people who um, who want to try and um, and do something mm. extraordinary here. So yeah, we um, uh, we really love the. Um, the sort of surprising partnerships that um, that can spring mm. up, um, you know, from arts working with health, um, uh, or indeed working with uh, working with sport, um, mm. uh, working with highways. Um, you know, <laughs> there's uh, there's all sorts of um, of different um, agencies and organisations, mm. if you like, that come together. And and then one of the really um, rich things for for us has been particularly through the festival but also um year round mm. uh yeah finding those businesses who um who absolutely get the sense that a cultural organization is um is not just about what goes on stage but um mm. uh but can have a real role to play in um in their own business and mm. um and making that a a much richer and more profitable experience for mm. everyone. So, you know, whether that's just about uh, actually promoting it to more people, or indeed working with um, uh, working with young people on developing their skills. And so, uh, through particularly through lockdown, actually, we um, we started working with the Department of Work and Pensions with Kickstart apprenticeships, mm, and yeah. um, and I think we. Uh, we brokered around 120 apprentices um, uh, and work placements um, uh, for something like 40 organisations across the city, and um, and that was just brilliant because and continues to be uh, to be brilliant because I think it um, again it unlocks that idea of uh, of what a creative education is for and what mm. creative skills are all about, but that they can be applied to all sorts of businesses across the community, mm. and then. Uh, and then we really love getting to know those businesses who suddenly find, oh, there's something over there that you're doing that we could be involved in and uh, and vice versa. So I think those conversations happen down here in a way that I'm not sure they happen as easily elsewhere. Mm. Maybe that's something about, again, being close together, um, easy to get round. Um, but I think it's something about the attitude and the spirit as well, which mm. is really great. I, I agree. I think actually... You're right. Just maybe the attitude, Danny. People just seem to be open-minded to community collaboration, whatever those things are. But just coming together, open-minded to have that conversation. The amount of people I will just reach out to, and you go, actually, you go to sometimes to a meeting with no real agenda, other than to just let's have a chat about 
bounce some ideas about and, and some sometimes great things come from that and I think if you're open minded to those opportunities that's uh, that's what I've, I really get the sense of that down here like since I've been here and, and running a business I really get the sense of that down here definitely I mean I know that uh, it also drives some people crazy that um, that actually we can talk an awful lot and for ages and uh, and then never um, I mean the accusation would be well uh, you never actually get on the new stuff <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know, I think that's sometimes true, but um, but actually, investing the time in uh, in talking always pays off mm. eventually, one way or another. I think it um, that exchange and the opportunity to um, uh, to see where a connection might take you mm. is um, is a really great thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, look, well, we, we obviously. You mentioned uh, a little bit there about obviously lockdown and sort of apprenticeships and stuff that you did through there. But I'm obviously uh, I talk a lot about the podcast about challenges that we face um, as chief executive of the, of the dome and, and and obviously the festival. Talk to me a little bit about your mindset around March 2020 when uh, when when Boris gets on the screen and talks about the pandemic and wh- where's your head at at that point and yeah it's um uh it's really interesting to um to look back over that time isn't it um uh and i think you know everyone's experience of um of lockdown was um was probably um you know traumatic in all sorts of ways mm. um uh i'm really struck by the memory of um of a few days earlier we were still um uh we were still delivering performances in the concert hall there was that weekend just prior to lockdown which was was that on the monday or the tuesday mm-hmm. um and uh and i definitely remember standing in the foyer and with some of our team um, and saying there's something about this that just doesn't feel right you mm-hmm. know the, the conversation had been going for a number of weeks by that stage um uh about um you know the the growth of uh of COVID and um, uh, and its spread, and having that many people in a in a space, mm. um, it felt sort of vulnerable for everybody there, including the staff team. Um, so, in some ways, when uh, when lockdown was finally called, it um, it uh, although that was a massive impact, it also felt um, a relief that at least there was clarity for everybody mm. that. Um, and uh, that our sort of frontline staff weren't going to be in such a vulnerable position. Mm. Um, of course, then the, the rest of it was uh, you immediately turned to uh, what do we do now and, um, and how do we make this, um, this big ship of an organisation work and mm. survive um, through, um, you know, when the, when the definition of the business is about bringing people together. Yeah, um, you know, everything that we do is designed <laughs> to uh, yeah. to get a load of people in the same space, and that was the very thing that uh, that COVID prevented. Um, so I'm uh, I'm really um, proud of the way the team responded, mm. and I'm uh, particularly grateful for an amazing board of trustees and the senior team who were just. Um, immediately responsive and also um, far-sighted. So we had 
some trustees at the time who um, were particularly connected into um, into the thinking around um, epidemiology and uh, and what was going on. And of course, that was a big uh, whirl of uh, of information and um, and in some ways lack of clarity. But mm. but I really remember one trustee saying, "This is going to go on, and it's going to go on for a while, and." Uh, and it's going to be massive, and we need to think about how we respond, not just in the short term, but in the medium to long term. Yeah, sure. And you know what kinds of measures are going to be needed, and so on. And that was amazing advice to have in March 2020. You know, it was um, it was way before it was sort of really um, becoming public consciousness. And so from that point, we started to think. Um, okay, well, what if this isn't just three months or six months? What if it's 18 months? Um, mm. We dared to think about the 18-month impact of, uh, of lockdown on the organization and mm. could we find a way through? And what would we do in the, in the meantime? Um, and how would we fund it? And, um, and, yeah, it's amazing then to think, actually, it sort of was October 2021 before we were... Um, before we were back open in the corner, in the concert hall, mm -hmm. um, and so it was that eighteen-month period, mm -hmm. um, and um, and that was a uh, you know that was quite an arbitrary um, uh, line in the sand that we drew, but um, uh, but amazingly, um, the you know one of the principles that we started with was um, that okay, if it is that long, that's going to be a huge impact on the organization. But we'll still be there and, and we'll want to um, be serving our audiences and our communities when we're, uh, when we're back. That's going to need a, a really brilliant, knowledgeable, skilled staff team. Mm. And the last thing we want to do is... Um, is go through some program of redundancies that would um, that would serve the short-term um, benefit of the organisation, perhaps, but then longer term really uh, scupper it, mm. its ability to return. So, um, so the fundamental principle that we started out with was how do we protect everybody's jobs through that time? Mm. Um, and because uh, was it was there always a belief, like even in those early stages, that it's just going to be whether it be six months 12 months 18 months whatever that looks like i still believe that we're going to get back to where we were before or um it was there a doubt in because it, it was you know you talk to other people in the, the community and you know i think it was so unknown for so many it was the uncertainty was there but especially from you know, I, was like, I remember my brother messaging me from he lives in australia now but messaging me and saying you know what it was the i think it was like the 25th anniversary of nebworth the concert with Oasis fans, we would. But he's like, can you imagine, like, not actually. I wonder if that's ever going to happen again. Will, our kids. Never yeah, Will yeah. it ever? And, and w was there ever? Was that ever discussed? Was there ever that thought process, or was it just a belief? Look, look we are going to return, and when we do, we need to have everyone in place to do that. Yes, I think so. I mean, it, uh, we definitely went through periods of. Um, uh, it's a question of how long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that how long might be five years, it yeah, might be yeah. ten years, um, but uh, but there will 
I think we had to hold on to a sort of fairly fundamental belief that mm. actually people will always want to come together. So there will have to be a solution to, um, to this, whatever it is, whether it's medical, whether it's, um, uh, whether it's technological, whether it's, uh, whether it's architectural. You yeah, know, yeah. There, there will have to be ways to enable us. And, um, uh, yeah, I remember, too, um, being pointed to an article quite early on, which was um, which was a historian looking at what happened in New York and London in um, uh, between 1918 and uh, and 1923. So those five years mm. um, uh, during the period of the Spanish flu, and it's amazing to um, to look a hundred years on mm, yeah. um, to look at just how similar that experience was um, mm. for theatres. So. Um, uh, you know, suddenly they were shut down. Um, there was um, there was massive hysteria. Uh, there was lots of um, uh, lots of promotion of mask wearing, um, and uh, and then the the way that theatres came back at that point, you know, in 1921-22, was to really advertise how brilliant their new air conditioning was and how fresh the air was in their theatres. Um, <laughs> But it clearly took a period of um, three, four, five years before mm. um, audiences had the confidence to return to those spaces in the same sort of way. So we were we were kind of thinking that uh, that that could be in the ether, but um, but uh, but never wanted to let go of the idea that um, mm. uh, that performance wouldn't happen um, again, and uh, and so it was a matter of just. How do we, how do we steer through that and mm. and try and build a business model that could cope and be dynamic enough and flexible enough to uh, to cope, and uh, yeah, as I say, the the entire staff team were just brilliant at mm. coming together around that and feeling actually we are kind of stronger to uh, together if we need to um, if we need to change how things work then let's do it as a as a group. Mm. Um, rather than um, you know uh, be in the lifeboat situation and um, and throwing some overboard to uh, to save a few that mm -hmm. um, that never felt like a, the right approach for us. And uh, it's really uh, I'm really keen to touch on then about I guess the, the culture within the organisation uh, at, at the time of the festival and the you know as a as a leader and the people that you you within your management team the people you speak to now. That's a great sense of a strong culture. I talk about it from a business point of view all the time that it's almost a bloodline to any business is a, is a strong, strong foundation and a strong culture there. So, uh, is that something that you've consciously developed over the, your time at, at, at the Dome and, and the festival over the last 15 years? Is that like leading up to that? Because to create that when you get to a point where it is a real struggle and actually we're really up against it here, but we've all come together because we've we've got this strong family culture i guess almost that we're and we're going to come together as a team and we're gonna we'll get through this together yeah i mean i struck really uh from the very start that uh there were people working at the dome who had been there for 20 years at that mm -hmm. point um and uh and of course some um uh are no longer uh working with us but there are others that have then been there for more than 20 years. Mm. 
and um, so there's this long loyalty and consistency of um, of some with then brilliantly new people uh, joining all the time. Mm. But that sense of um, I mean I think theatres generally have a uh, often have a very strong culture anyway because mm. um, uh, there's um, there's something about um, handing on that um, that sense of what has been there before, mm. um, you know, treading the boards and all of that kind of uh, legend um, does actually ring true when you're when you're in that space. You're mm. very artists are very aware of who else has performed there, um, but the team is really aware of that, proud of it, and mm. um, and kind of protective of it. So. Um, so what grows up around the performing space is, is quite special yeah. anyway. Yeah, sure. um, finding a way to kind of harness that or galvanize it and, uh, and point it in a particular direction can sometimes be a challenge because uh, often different bits of the organization um, will have different ideas about what's more important uh, than others. Um, and, uh, and bringing music education into, part of, into that and creating a sort of unified sense uh, has also been something that we've um, we've really wanted to work on um, but yeah I think culture's interesting isn't it I mean ultimately it's um, it's down to the people who uh, who make it and um, and I've never particularly been one for the um, for the management speak that grows up around um, around all of that but I think being as straight as you can be with people and mm. uh, and just building a, a sense of trust and loyalty um, between each other um, so that actually when the chips are down you can have an honest conversation and uh, mm. and say you know I really think this is the, the way forward um, are you with me um, people um, people respond to that I mm. think yeah Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, EMC Corporate Finance. Trust must be earned, especially in business. It goes both ways and takes time to build. That's why you need an advisor with a proven track record who understands its value and more importantly, the value you place on your business. EMC Corporate Finance is built on a legacy of trust. For over 30 years, they've been advising and supporting entrepreneurs, guiding them through the challenges of private company ownership. Whether you're looking to raise investment, accelerate growth, or crystallise value with a profitable exit, the team are here to help. So if you're ready to take that next step, let EMC be your guide. For more information, go to www.emcltd.co.uk. Okay, back to the podcast. That's, that's amazing. I, I, I do... I, I, the one thing as well, I'd be keen to just tapping I guess to your mindset and from an emotional point of view as well how how you felt like with it as a team as a as, a, as an organization when you do come through you go to October 21 and that first show back in the concert hall what talk to me about talk to me about that moment and that those yeah the, well there were a series of special moments really um, and uh, and they kept on coming in, <laughs> in different waves <laughs> And different ways, you know, the uh, the team um, pivoted incredibly to do things online. Um, so there was the kind of whoosh that came from uh, from cancelling a festival, um, uh, which was um, soul destroying, to then delivering uh, 
stuff online and getting the audience reaction. Um, uh, then to when we put all of the measures in place to be able to uh, to do things in a socially distanced way, mm. whether that was outdoors or then the first performance that we did in the dome with you know a maximum 300 capacity um, on cabaret seating with uh, with you know. Uh, numbered tables and um, <laughs> and everyone having to keep their chairs in uh, in a particular uh, format and enter and exit in a uh, in a certain way and so on i mean it was just um it was insane the level of detail that mm. uh, that the staff team had to go through to to make those things happen so when they did there was um and uh, and to have artists there who hadn't been able to perform at all and mm. suddenly were able to and were as grateful as they were um, to be able to was really amazing but then you're right when there were for the first time when there were 1800 people in uh, in the dome again and able to um, to really lift the roof off um, they did and it's uh, and it's amazing space for that whenever it happens yeah but um, but yeah there was something very emotional in it um, when it did finally come, just, it just doesn't matter. Because I, 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 I guess from someone that's very much a people person, I love being in and around people. I run networking groups and I'm members of lots of networking groups. And you go and like, I've done lots online as we all did, and we survived. And that's Zoom was the, you know a, a savior for many businesses. And you sort of get on, but just ultimately, I think as as human beings, we crave that human connection and being around people, and and actually. I still remember that first sort of. Um, there was an event. A friend of mine, Ryan Hill, runs the best of British events and you know, fan fantastic uh, events. And that, that first one back at the Grand, 500 people in there, where you sort of, we was all come together. And it was, it was an, uh, it was an emotion in that room that day. Thinking, you know, I wondered 18 months ago whether we'd actually ever be here again. And but especially from a from an arts and culture point of view, that, that a show, going to see a show is a magical experience anyway, and being around people, being in an atmosphere that's that can only be created within the concert hall, like, uh, uh, that stand must have just been, like, for someone leading it, leading an organisation like that, it must have been just an incredible, incredible moment. Yeah, very proud to be part of that. What I really remember was um, uh, it striking me you know, it's so obvious, and and part of me had always known it. But over that period where we'd been at home, <laughs> listening to stuff fine, but on uh, home sound systems or, you know, through the laptop or whatever, yeah. being in a room and feeling the physical experience of, uh, of a sound system and a performance, um, mm. you know, it's actually a... It's a physical thing. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's not just an oral thing. It doesn't happen just between your ears. It's. Uh, it's kind of hitting you in the chest, and that was amazing because it. Um, uh, it really struck me as if, kind of for the first time, that 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 was an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, so I. Um, I still hold on to that really. The. Um, the power of live, which mm. is, yes, it's about coming together, but it's also about being in the room and the air moving in the room it's yeah. not just uh, you know, on your laptop at home yeah yeah no I agree no, that's amazing and look, it's so great to like you say to be where where we are now and back to you know thankfully some form of what we I guess call normality or or, or whatever because it's uh, 
because like you say you go back to um, I spoke to Julian Caddy on here recently about you know Fringe as well and, and him talking about that period and thinking oh, it's scary times and for sure. everyone but especially within arts and culture and with the you know thought of because all the supply chain, everything that comes with organising events at the large scale, the, the festivals at, and all the people involved, and everyone down that line, and that impacts so much on a great scale, doesn't it? Like it's not just the actual venue, but all, all the people that actually the behind the scenes of an event and what that what that looks like. Definitely, there are yeah, there are thousands of people that uh, that that implicated and. Um, and the sudden um, stopping of all of that, you know, particularly on people who work as freelance and yeah. uh, creative workers and uh, and you know, associated workers, um, was was a huge impact. Um, you know, I'm really grateful to have been part of an organisation through uh, through mm-hmm. that period. Um, for those colleagues who were freelance, it was a really really scary time mm-hmm. and. Um, and very difficult to uh, to know how best to navigate that, and and although as you say we're uh, we're through it now, we're still dealing with the aftermath, and mm-hmm. and there are also some things that we all promised each other during it um, wouldn't necessarily go back the way they were, and that we try and uh, try and make things differently and work in different ways. Mm. Um, so. You know, I don't think we're at all uh, near the finish of that yet. Yeah. That's still a project that um, that we all have to work on, which is to how to kind of level the playing field for um, for people who are independent workers and uh, and those who are part part of organisations. Um, mm. There's there's lots of work to do to make sure that we um, uh, we're even better partners in the future. Yeah. Sure, sure. Look, um, I just want to move on to just. Obviously, running a festival uh, of the size of, of, of Brighton Festival and, and and the Dome as well, I imagine comes with quite a lot of pressures. I guess what t- talk to me a little bit about man away from the, what, what do you do to switch off? Are you able to switch off, especially leading into May when festivals on? Are you able to switch off, or do, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, I, don't know. I mean. Um, uh Yes, I can switch off. I sleep really well, which has <laughs> uh, which has always been um, uh, a huge bonus. Um, uh, but you were saying um, you've seven year old twins. I have yeah. a seven year old son, yeah. and uh, so he keeps us um, uh, busy. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, it's the best way of switching off, isn't it? Because yeah, um, because stuff comes from you don't know, don't know where and <laughs> left field, and. Um, and it's completely absorbing, so I uh, I love that. And um, you know whether that's uh, whether that's just playing together or being out and uh, and doing the things that he loves to do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that provides a kind of um, antidote to to whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, um, there are some things you don't want to switch off from. It's uh, because. Actually, the arts is uh, is what I love, and um, and being being in those performances is a is a huge privilege and something mm. that um, that means uh, you know it might be work related, but you're given the opportunity to take your mind in a different direction. So that mm. always kind of feeds you, and um, it's great fun. So I'm looking forward to May. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, and I, and I get like ultimately the key 
about that and, and anyone listening and people, everyone I talk to or, or that comes on the podcast ultimately if you do something you love doing that work life there was such a thing previously and we still talk about a lot of work life balance and what does that look like and actually a good friend of mine who come on recently described it quite well actually it's just life as a whole and work's involved in that and personal life's involved in that and it's all just in one big bubble actually and as long as they're all, you're doing your best you can in all of those elements, you, you, that's how you keep it going. It's not that work's there and that's my work life, and then you know, it's and, and home life's over there and it's completely separate. You, actually, they all come together. And yeah, and it's obviously different for everybody, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course. But for me, um, the idea of separating those two things has never really felt right mm. or uh, or necessary because, as you say, it's um, it's the thing that I really love. Mm. Nice. So, to, to a little, obviously, we're recording this now in what sort of February, so May is coming round sooner, I'm sure, than, than you think. And, and, and the festival and all, all going to plan this year and exciting. And Yeah, well, I mean, we're launching in the next couple of weeks, so yeah. I can't talk about the programme too yeah, much, yeah, yeah, sure. but, um, uh, but it's, uh, it is really exciting. I think it has come together really well this year. It's, um, it's brilliant to be working with as many partners as we are in the festival um, and to get that again that kind of response both from um, from artistic organizations but also business organizations mm. that um, that you know this is a really special time of year and there's something um, worth making the extra effort to come together on mm. so uh, yeah we're really thrilled with the way it's come together and I um, and I also think it's a journey for back for the audience because uh, you know 2020 totally cancelled 21 was a socially distanced festival 22 we were back but uh, but still um, at a slightly smaller scale um, uh, 23 feels like the moment where we're um, where maybe returned to something which is uh, much more reminiscent of the pre-pandemic years so Nine. yeah that's exciting that's amazing, and and, and I'm, I'm my understanding obviously over the years, sort of guest directors well sort of come uh, on board. So, had, uh, who have you got this year? Yeah, so our guest director this year is Nabia Iqbal, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. Um, she's an amazing musician, DJ, broadcaster. She's a fantastic interviewer, um, yeah. and uh, really um, a wonderful um, and very insightful and interesting person. Um, and has been great to work with on pulling the uh, pulling the program together. So um, yeah, I'm excited to to see how. You know, one of the great things about the guest director is that they, um, uh, in a really really wide program, which I'm um, still proud is as wide and eclectic as it is, mm. they bring a kind of focus and a, a way of um, an audience thinking about the festival. You look through somebody else's eyes and uh, and they're um, they're helping sort of direct your focus around the program. They're saying, mm -hmm. actually, look at this. It's really interesting to me. I think you might like it too. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's that sort of leading by a hand that uh, that each individual guest director gives you the opportunity to um, to do. And and every one of them is and has been different. They're, um, you know, whether it's Anish Kapoor or Brian Eno or mm -hmm. um, uh, Kay Tempest or David Trigley, they're um, They've all been completely amazing at taking this festival and and doing something different with it. So uh, Nabi has got that opportunity this time, and I think uh, she's really grabbed it. 
Amazing. And how, how, how do you go about like choosing a guest director? What, how, what's the process of that? Like, what the, how does that come about? What? Yeah, I mean that's one of um, uh, my huge privileges. I, um, you know, it was the it was the idea that I um, came to the organisation with and wanted mm. to um, uh, try and. I've always loved the experience of working really closely with an artist on something, mm. and and I never particularly wanted to be the um, uh, the frontman artistic director from that point of view as far as the festival was concerned. Mm. I I felt I could kind of facilitate that uh, for a uh, for an artist who was in the guest director role. So um, so in some ways it becomes quite a personal thing um, but I'm also thinking about uh, thinking about what's um, what's gone before and what might come after mm. um, who um, uh, who has brought a particular flavor do we want to build on that do we want to actually change direction one of the things I quite like to do is um, is surprise people and uh, and not follow a pattern um, <laughs> It's a really interesting, fun <laughs> conversation that happens around when people start predicting who the next guest director is going to be, <laughs> and you sort of think, okay, well, it's definitely not going to be them now. <laughs> um, uh, and Keep those cards close to you. Yeah, you I think um, that's the point. It should be fresh each year, yeah, it, yeah, um, and, uh, and it should come uh, in a new and surprising way. But there are definitely um, guest directors who have created something that we then want to continue. And mm. One of those uh, is Kay Tempest, who, um, you know, when they were with us in 2017, really developed our approach across communities, and uh, we started a, a program called Our Place, and that has continued to grow and deepen in relationship to uh, communities in Hangleton, in Wolfscombe, in East Brighton, mm. that might not normally be a part or see themselves as part of the festival and um, and Kay really helped us uh, develop that approach and it's been something that we've then continued ever since so uh, so then you're looking for guest directors who have a real sympathy with mm. that and want to uh, want to go down a similar sort of track and take it further um, so yeah but fundamentally I'm looking for a an artist or a or a thinker or a, a creative person who is really eclectic, who's across um, the spirit of Brighton, what that, uh, what that means to them, but what that might mean to the place, and, uh, and someone that um, you know, might, be, might be really well-known or might be uh, lesser-known, but that audiences will want to get to know during those three weeks mm. in May. And what you mentioned there about the spirit of Brighton and what that means to them, what, 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 if I asked you what that meant to you, what would you say? I think we've talked around some of it. I mean, it's that openness to uh, to new ideas. Mm -hmm. It's the sort of curios curiosity um, for for new experiences. It's thinking um, uh, about um, it's thinking about a sort of global perspective, um, a very international and wide ranging. Um, uh, thought process but also something which is uh, mm. is really rooted in the local and uh, and in place and that can be quite political and um, and challenging edgy and scratchy but uh, but it it's 
fundamentally, I think, asking questions about um, why are we here, who do we want to be, how can we be better, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that sort of spirit of open inquiry feels like it's something that has been in Brighton for a long period of time. Um, I mean, maybe much longer than uh, than people imagine, mm -hmm. and um, and has really soaked into the um, the. Uh, the sort of fabric of the place um, and and feels like something that we all inherit when we're here. So I, that feels to me like um, what you want to grab hold of and do something with. Uh, I agree. I love that. I love that. Look, we, we, we we're coming towards the end of the last sort of couple of questions before we sort of wrap up. I, I always sort of, as people share their stories with me, I always look at obviously where they've been, where they are now and where they're going and, and actually always try and discuss around what success looks like to individuals it's different for everyone but keen to for you what, what would be your definition of success what does success look like for you yeah it's a really um, it's a tricky one isn't it I uh, and it depends what you value I guess mm. um, but um, but for me the um, the things that really excite me are um Obviously, we're all, in one sense, if you're leading an organisation, you're you're driven by the um, the outputs and the numbers and mm. uh, and the impact that you're having. Mm. And and in some senses, that uh, that's volume. You know, I want the uh, I want the biggest impact to the largest group of people that uh, that we can manage and um, and actually seeing um, seeing an increasing number of audiences. Um, Attending and uh, and wanting and enjoying what we deliver um, is really energising, mm. but that can cloud the uh, the very individual, small but massive to that person impact that an organisation like ours can have. And if I think about some of the children and young people going through uh, create music and um, and the opportunities that they are having um, that might not actually flower for another 10 or 15 years, but, mm. um, but is in its small way switching someone on to, uh, to something which is really magical and special, that feels like success as well. So, mm. um, so I think I'm, I'm always torn by, uh, mm. by actually you know, loving that uh, that massive um, uh, impact that we can have, um, but also uh, also really valuing the um, the very important um, and singular experience that um, that the arts can bring for someone. And sometimes I think even if even if a performance or a an event or a experience is dying for everybody or most people in the room, if there's one person in the room for whom it's uh, it's a magical experience, that can be successful as well. And um, so I hold on to that. Yeah, <laughs> what a great way to look at it, because you're right, it is it actually, whatever we do in life, uh, if you have an impact on just that one person, sometimes that's enough and that can be, like you said, I, I, I often ask that question around success, because a lot of, it's really interesting and a lot of people with different answers like you said it's, it's different for everyone what, what success would be but there's still that narrative around the, 
success is measured by the financial metric. And as, like you said, as leaders, as, as people of large organisations, you've got to watch their numbers and obviously you've got to make profit and you've got to make the money and, and to, to actually to be able to have the impact of doing those things. Because if you don't, if that doesn't look after it, it won't do that. So there is, a, I'll get that sort of balance. But actually from the amazing thing, listening to you talk about that, especially from the encouraging kids to get into the arts and that impact that can have but actually just on a, a scale of where you at the, at the concert hall for example 1800 people in there actually just creating an experience where some people will, will walk away with something magical is well because those experiences also um uh, you know they're in that moment but but it's a moment that for some will be the thing that they rely on uh, uh, weeks, months, years later, you know, that's, um, that might be the, the thing that in a really dark moment will lift them back up of, mm. uh, of that, um, uh, remind them that they're connected to other people in the world, um, be a, a sort of source of energy and inspiration in, in different ways. Mm. I suppose, the, um, I mean, the thing behind your question in a way is that the arts are a are a purpose-led business. Um, uh, they are a business. We have to run as a uh, as a business. We happen to be a, a charity, and that's a really important part mm. of uh, who and what we are. Um, but but fundamentally, the arts, whether you're whether you're in the charitable, subsidised, or commercial uh, side of the world, they are always for a, a reason, and uh, and that reason is about. Um, is about moving people, um, you know, to joy or sadness, um, mm. but but to really uh, to really influence how uh, how people feel, and mm. um, and actually being in the feelings business is um, is quite a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great fun. Amazing, Man, you can. T- it's so fascinating just to chat to you about stuff because you you can tell as you talk about it that the enthusiasm and passion that you've got for the arts and co it just comes across in in how you describe stuff and and, and talk about it and it's that's quite a magical thing to listen to so it's, <laughs> it's great, i'm grateful for that well look, i just what what does the future hold for you andrew goodness well i mean <laughs> the the thing that we've been working towards for uh, for many years now is uh, is reopening the corn exchange mm. in the studio theater you know we yeah. um, we started the first feasibility study for this uh, project in 2010, and wow. uh, and raised the uh, the first significant funds from Arts Council England in 2012. Um, we went on site in 2017, so it's been a long haul. Um, and I mean, thanks to amazing partners, particularly Burke and Hope City Council. But um, but we are just on the cusp of reopening those spaces. Um, wow. uh, in May, um, with uh, with the really wonderful Van Gogh Alive installation, mm. it's um, uh, it seems to have um, chimed with people as well because uh, uh, ticket bookings have been incredibly strong from the start. So that will run for several months um, uh, over the summer, and um, and I don't think um, I or um, my team can really believe that we are finally. Um, <laughs> There's <laughs> still a lot to do on site, but we're um, we're uh, we're getting there, and it's um, it's really exciting to see. So the opportunity to actually have those spaces back and explore with communities and with artists um, 
how we make the most of them mm. over the next few years is, uh, is really exciting. Mm. Wow, and t tell me a little bit about obviously the Van Gogh, very, uh, from a digital space, uh, t talk to me a bit about that. that yeah, Van Gogh for Life is, uh, is an immer immersive installation, mm. so it, um, it moves through um, thousands of, uh, of images of Van Gogh's work and explores his life and work. And um, and it's been an incredible success internationally, um, uh, and lots of people might have either experienced it in London or know uh, friends who have. Mm. Um, but the opportunity to have it in Brighton, in these magical spaces—I mean, the Corn Exchange is just mm. amazing. Um, it always was a wonderful space. It's even more beautiful than it uh, than it was before for anyone who might remember it from 2016 or earlier. Um, it's now, you know, returned to a completely wooden box um, and just uh, beautifully, beautifully done. So having this installation in those spaces, I think, will be really special because it's um, uh, you know it's on our doorstep and um, and it's getting a glimpse of um, these wonderful historic spaces for the first time in many years amazing mate so excited I'm, re I'm really excited yeah, to come down to come. and see yeah i can't <laughs> i can't wait to come i've seen obviously online you can see some of the plans what it's gonna look like so yeah, yeah. amazing I'm, I'm looking forward to coming yeah. coming over and look around so well look we're going to um finish as we always do with our quick fire questions so i'll, I'll throw these ones at you <laughs> okay. um what one piece of advice do you give to your teenage self um i think it's uh, it's just know that being quiet is okay um, and that you can still you can still lead in a way but lead quietly and uh, and I think I didn't realise that when I was younger I love that that's a great answer and something I haven't heard I love that that's really well look well, um Who's inspired you in your career and why? Uh, that's an easy one. I mean, it's difficult in some ways because there are loads of people that you can think about and talk about. Mm. Um, and I have been really um, very lucky with uh, with lots of very generous people along the way. But, um, but my dad is the most obvious answer. Um, and he... Um, he worked incredibly hard uh, and started out of school at 16 as a storeman and packer. Um, uh, loved cars, always wanted to be around cars, and ended up um, running the automotive division of Bosch in Australia. Um, and, and just did it through sort of sheer kind of hard work and, um, and applying himself to, uh, to things. And kind of instilled that um, really early on, but but I think I um, I learnt a lot from him without realising um, around the uh, around the dinner table from in a sort of management sense he would talk about stuff problems that had been going on mm. um, and how he thought he would deal with them and uh, and particularly getting in the minds of people in his team and. Uh, and how they might be persuaded or influenced or uh, or encouraged, um, and yeah, I think that was a very special kind of uh, 
training, if you like, <laughs> in um, in what I've ended up doing, and uh, and it's those things that um, actually feel wonderful to look back on and uh, mm. and think, um, you know, fundamentally, uh, he's a man of huge integrity and uh, and honesty, and was was really uh, was really loved by his uh, his teams for that, and mm. went through very challenging periods of. Of the whole industry being um, uh, being kind of restructured and reorganised, um, but carried people through. And I think, um, yeah, those lessons, if I can emulate them even a little bit, um, uh, were really precious. It sounds like you're you're doing just that by, by the sounds of it. But, um, that's incredible. I love. Um, but can you recommend a book or podcast to our listeners that has had an impact on you or influenced you? Oh God, this is a really hard one because I um, uh, I listen to loads of podcasts. I'm yeah. a bit of a podcast um, nut, <laughs> um, and uh, and I read a lot as well. So I um, yeah, I don't know where to go with this one except the um, the thing that I find myself pressing on people most often is soul music, and I don't know if you know the um, the Radio Four program. It's it's a podcast as well. Mm. Um, but it's called Soul Music, and um, and I don't think there's an episode that doesn't make me cry in some uh, at some moment or other. It's uh, it's the most extraordinary thing. They um, the producers who work on it are incredible, and they gather stories from people all around the world who ha- who respond to a particular piece of music, and and it's so wide ranging. I mean, it can be a Bach cantata one week. Or um, sunshine on Leith the next, you know. I, um, I, the episode that really sticks in my mind is um, uh, is a load load of Glaswegians talking about um, uh, the impact that sunshine on Leith has on them, or the the way in which that piece of music has influenced their life in some in some often just significant moment. You know, it might be a birth or a death or. Um, uh, something that helped people through grieving or uh, mm-hmm. whatever, but the, um, it's it's just an amazing podcast. I'd rec- recommend it to uh, everyone. Oh, I love that. That's on my list. I love because oh, there's something you're right. There's something music in general. Just we, we listen all the time indoors, and the kids love music. They up dancing and dan- but it just creates emotion, doesn't it? And that's the beauty of a piece of music that can just create that. Uh, a different type of emotion for different people and people take different things from it oh, that's a good one well like then you that. say um you know everyone has a story to tell and mm-hmm. that uh, absolutely through uh, through music i think everybody has their kind of particular um, yeah. tracks their particular performances the things that have meant the most to them in different ways and, yeah. uh, and it comes out in this it's great lovely brilliant brilliant final one final one what, I- what is your one rule for living a fulfilled life Oh wow! Uh, um, fulfilled life is tricky as well, isn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, I think optimism is um, is the kind of guiding principle. I think you have to stay optimistic. But underneath the optimism is um, is something that I really believe in, which is a sort of faith in people. In the um, oh god, this is going to sound really hokey, but um, uh, in the fundamental goodness of people, I think um, uh, actually. There's horrible stuff that happens, and um, and 
we hear constantly of people taking advantage of each other in different ways. Um, mm. And uh, and I don't want to gloss over any of that, but at the same time, ultimately, most people, the vast majority, I think, are trying to do good things and the right thing. And, uh, and if you hold on to that somehow, then it gives you... Um, Faith and energy in every in everything else, you can you can make things possible after that. Um, so yeah, optimism and have faith in people. It's a beautiful answer. I, lo I love that. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in both of those things. Actually, I'm I'm internal optimist, and <laughs> but all, all, also exactly that. I, my wife always says you always see the good in people, but I, I really do believe that. Like, I, I think people want to be good as opposed to being bad. Like you said, you don't want to gloss over a lot of whole things that do happen but ultimately I do believe that you know want to be people want to be good and, and do good things so it's a l wonderful answer so Andrew listen what an absolute pleasure it's been to, to meet you and, and chat with you today and fascinating listening to your story and how you articulate as well your passion around obviously the arts and culture and obviously what you're doing for this amazing city with the festival and the team and everything that you you do and how exciting a period at, my, at the moment as well sort of coming back 2023 and and with everything that's happening with the corn exchange etc and stuff so um i wish you continued success and like i say thank you so much for your time it's been it's been amazing to have a chat with you oh thanks for the opportunity sam it's great to talk to you brilliant awesome and that as they say is a wrap <laughs> This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions.